got a lot of pages this morning. Sorry, I've been trying to narrow it down, but it just gets difficult, especially recently. I mean, I got, uh, what do we got here? We got one, two, three, four, five single space pages. Full, all the way to the bottom of the fifth page. But I'll try and get through it quickly. It's Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. Uh, Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. This is my 74th official episode, uh, not including the specials that I've, a couple of specials that I've done. Anyway, yesterday, uh, President Trump committed a felony in front of everybody. (laughs) What a nut. Eh, Anyway, yeah, in front of everybody he did this. Uh, It's a felony under North Carolina law to vote more than once or to induce others to do so. And uh, Trump said in a word salad speech, uh, uh, you know how he speaks. He he speaks in these half sentences and then you sort of have to try and figure out what he's trying to say. Anyway, I'm going to try and get through his speech in a a, a second. Uh, Trump uh, said... uh, In this word salad speech, basically, he was urging residents to test the state's mail-in voting system. Uh, And this is what he said. He said, they are going to have to check their vote by going to the poll and voting that way, because if it tabulates, then they won't be able to do that. Okay, that was one sentence. Uh, And and I know the sentence is, is incomprehensible. Um, and then the next sentence. So let them send it in and let them go vote. And if their system is as good as they say it is, then obviously they won't be able to vote, uh, uh, presumably on, on election day. But uh, anyway, um, if it isn't tabulated, they will be able to vote. So that's the way it is. And that's what they should do. Okay. That word salad is really, really hard to digest. I'll just say that. Um, The the president said of expansion of uh, mail-in voting during the uh, coronavirus pandemic, he said, I'm not happy about it. At the same time, we're in the court with a lot of it. We're going to see if it can be stopped. But send your ballots, send them in strong, whether it's solicited or unsolicited. The absentees are fine, but go to vote, and if they haven't counted it, you can vote. That's the way I view it. Okay. You probably still don't understand what he's saying, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Following the president's comments, uh, Representative uh, Raja uh, Krishnamurth, uh, Democrat in Illinois, was asked about them. Uh, And and she goes, so he's trying to make his conspiracy theories about voter fraud come true, even if it means urging his supporters to commit a felony? Okay. So this is what Trump's trying to say. He was trying to say, hey, you, you can vote by mail and let's test the system. Go vote by mail and then go show up in the polls after and try and vote again and see if you can do it. He's asking his followers to vote twice. He's asking his followers to commit a felony. And let me just say, 
If you're caught committing a felony like this, you're going to lose your right to vote. You will no longer be allowed to vote. So let me just encourage you all. You should listen to Donald Trump because then you're never going to be allowed to vote again for the rest of your life for committing a voter fraud. Even if they they catch it and they say you're not allowed to vote, even if they catch it, even if Donald Trump is completely wrong, you're still attempted a voter fraud and you're still going to go to prison and you're still going to lose your right to vote for the rest of your life. So you might want to rethink this. In fact, we should all rethink it. Let's let's set aside the Russia interference for, for a second because first we have to deal with the criminals within our own government that are trying to interfere with voting, Mr. Trump. I'm calling you out directly in case you're listening. Anyway, uh, then following Trump's comments... <laughs> Oh, this is even worse. Attorney General William Barr. Mind you, this is the the top law, law enforcement official in the United States. He repeatedly claimed they didn't know whether it was illegal to vote twice in, in a CNN interview. Uh, Barr said, I don't know what the law in any particular state is. Wolf Blitzer told him that, in fact, it's illegal to vote, uh, to vote twice. And Barr repeated, well, I don't know what the law in the particular state says. Let me just say, man, you don't have to be an attorney. You don't have to be the head of the Justice Department. You don't have to be that person to know it's illegal to vote twice. What a complete and utter... And this guy, oh my God. He's the top lawmaker in the United States, and he's claiming he doesn't know if you're, if the law states you can't vote twice. What are you kidding me? Oh my God! Wow! Wow! Okay. Um. Anyway, we're, we'll move on. <laughs> it's because it's it's just too incredulous. Uh, one of President Trump, uh, tr- uh, uh, Trump's top medical advisors. Uh, Scott Atlas is urging the administration to lean into the national herd immunity strategy to combat combat the pandemic, which is really a bad idea. And I think this is what they've been doing all along. Um, according, uh, this is according to a report by the Washington Post. The report explains that Atlas, uh, a neuro radiologist and fellow at Stanford's Hoover, uh, Hoover Inst- uh, Institution, which is a, it's a right-winging, uh, right-wing think tank, um, is pushing for the United States to, um, uh, 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 United States to embrace a laissez-faire pandemic management model like Sweden by allowing the coronavirus to spread freely to most of the population while protecting those in senior homes or in other vulnerable populations. Yet Sweden's uh, laissez-faire approach resulted in the country having a high per capita death rate, uh, higher than its, its neighboring um, uh, countries. By June, Sweden's per capita COVID death rate was 44 per, uh, out of every 100,000 people, compared to 4.46 out of 100,000 people in Norway and Denmark's rate of 10 out of 100,000. In any case, the, the, the herd immunity building approach has another major problem. 
the the long term health impact um, the coronavirus can have with victims' heart hearts a, a troubling even those who seem to have less pronounced COVID symptoms or, or, or no symptoms at all may discover that they have heart issues later. It's really weird. I mean, you get COVID-19 and suddenly you have little holes in your heart and you don't even know about them. This is the damage that this disease causes. And the long-term health care are going to cost billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. People are going to die younger because of it. Uh, we're talking about, we're talking about, I, I, I think the average uh, age uh, for individuals is like 72 now. But that's going to drop just because of COVID because people are going to die younger with heart problems. I, I, um, let's see, let's see if I have this. Uh, uh, there's a study. Uh, um, that uh, uh, that he was uh, referring to. Let's see if I can figure this out. It was published in the uh, AMA Cardiology by German researchers in the JAMA Cardiology by German researchers in July. The study which used uh, cardiac, cardiac magnetic resonance imaging in 100 recently recovered COVID-19 patients identified ongoing myocardial inflammation in 60% of the recovering volunteers. In total, 78% had abnormal cardio, uh, cardiac magnetic resonance findings, which means that long after you recover, and we're, we're talking about people that might not even show symptoms, long after they're gonna show Disease, cardiac uh, disease in their heart, which can affect them later in life. People are more people are going to be dying from heart attacks later in life. This is serious stuff, and they want a herd immunity. They they don't care if people die and people get diseases, uh, get COVID. That's going to last them a lifetime of problems. They just want that herd immunity. I was watching Alex Azar uh, this morning. He was being interviewed on CBS this morning. Uh, he got a call out. He got call, he got called out for statements where all of his statements began with a, a promotion for Donald Trump. For instance, like um, beginning each statement with "Thanks to Trump, such and such happened." Well, Trump did this, so such and such happened. And this seems to be statements from everybody in the administration. They're all starting their statements off with, thanks to Trump, thanks to Trump, this happened. Thanks to, it's nonstop politicization, uh, politicization, uh, politicization uh, uh, from uh, um, uh, Trump mouthpieces. Anyway, uh, anyway, he, he responded with calling out people politicizing his statements. In other words, he said, he said, Wait a minute, you, you saying that I'm politicizing it by uh, uh, starting out with because of Trump, that suddenly uh, you are politicizing my statements? Oh my God, <laughs> my head's going to explode at, at, at trying to uh, disassemble uh, what's going on here. He's making political statements and, and he's claiming that him being called out for political statements is being political. 
<laughs> anyway, he was being questioned about the rushing of COVID vaccines when the CDC has said that politicizing vaccines by rushing them for political reasons would be dangerous. And I agree. I mean, the vaccines as it is, uh, uh, this this warp speed thing has uh, um, sped up these this vaccine research past safety measures, and there should be a concern about it. Uh, President Donald Trump on Wednesday uh, threatened to cut federal funding to several major cities, all run by Democrats and located in blue states, uh, on the grounds uh, on the grounds that their leaders are allowing anarchy, violence, and destruction. That's the quote, anarchy, violence, and destruction. Um, The White House announced it had uh, instructed federal agencies to prepare uh, reports for the White House Office of Management and Budget, setting a timeline for the agency to restrict federal grants from going to anarchist jurisdictions. That's another quote, anarchist jurisdictions. The memo specifically mentioned New York, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, and Washington, D.C. Such a move would immediately trigger legal challenges and echo Trump's threats about withholding aid to U.S. cities that limit cooperation between local law enforcement and federal immigration authorities, attempts that were largely blocked in federal courts. Oh, God. You got to understand, a lot of these cities are Big donators in taxes, not donators, well, technically we, we are donating tax dollars. Anyway, when you pay taxes, it goes into the general fund of the federal government from like California. And California pays, I, I can't remember how much it was, way more taxes than they receive in services from the federal government. And the reason why is because red states donate less taxes and we have to uh, uh, support them. It's a herd support type of thing. So when they say that they're going to cut, uh, um, uh, uh, cut any kind of monies that are going to these cities or states, they're forgetting that they've paid more into the system. So crazy. Uh, in response to the threat of cutting funding, Governor Cuomo of New York, of course, he said he can't have enough bodyguards to walk through New York City. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army of uh, uh, an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the streets in New York. Uh, A Cuomo spokesperson, uh, Jonathan Stern, highlighted the governor's clarification um, uh, uh, on the statement when Cuomo said, my comment about the president's uh, bodyguards in New York City, all I'm saying is that he's persona non grata in New York City. And I think he knows that. And he'll never come back to New York because New Yorkers will never forget how gratuitously mean he has been to New Yorkers and how many times he has tried to kill the city that gave him his start and uh, the city that birthed him. That's what I meant. And what he's saying is that New Yorkers are really pissed at Donald Trump for how he's handled everything. 
And uh, he better have bodyguards around him because people are angry with Trump. That's what Cuomo was saying. A 41-year-old black man died in March in uh, um, Rochester, uh, northern New York, Um, uh, after being forcibly uh, 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 restrained by police officers. Uh, Daniel T. Prude was handcuffed by officers in the early morning hours of Monday, March 23rd, as he walked naked, bleeding into southwest uh, Rochester. He was suffering from an acute uh, mental uh, uh, health problems when he was uh, detained. During an 11-minute confrontation, multiple police officers were on the scene, as well as two emergency medical technicians. Force was applied for several minutes to Prude's head and back as he lay on the pavement. They, they put a spit hood around him, okay? And these spit hoods, I, I, I think they're like canvas or something. I don't know, something like that. Anyway, he lost consciousness uh, after officers cut off his breathing and was transported to the hospital where he died a week later. But the important thing to know is that these spit hoods, what they're made out of, uh, and, I, and I think it is canvas, I could be wrong, but I think it is like a canvas or a cotton type material. Uh, probably canvas. The problem is it was raining that night. And when these hoods get wet, air can't get through them. Uh, let me tell you about, I, I, I was a lifeguard. And we learned to take off, uh, if you're ever in the middle of the ocean, to take off your jeans, tie them on the ends, and fill them with air. Because air can't escape when, when, they, uh, um, when they're wet. Uh, and they serve as a life preserver. And that's the same thing that happened here, I think. I think it got wet and he got smothered. Plus the fact that they were kneeling on his back and his neck. Uh, anyway, he was murdered, basically. And, that, and they have video of this. You'll be able to see that today in the news if you want. Uh, the city of Hoboken on Wednesday filed a lawsuit against multiple big oil players, including ExxonMobil, uh, which is, uh, they're incorporated in New Jersey, where a lot of corporations are incorporated because of their laws. Uh, anyway, they're joint, they've joined a, an increasing number of state and local governments using litigation efforts to hold the fossil fuel industry accountable uh, for defrauding the public. Uh, after for, uh, and they defra- defrauded them after forcing, uh, uh, they were foreseeing climate crisis dangers, um, uh, uh, the companies were. And uh, these areas are trying to make these companies pay their fair share in the cost of mitigating green, greenhouse emissions and adapting to a warming planet. Uh, the lawsuit argues that the defendants, which are ExxonMobil, Shell, Chevron, BP, ConocoPhillips, and the American Petroleum Institute, uh, they're arguing that they knew that the production, marketing, and sale of fossil fuels would cause global climate change, but they engaged in massive disinformation campaign to protect their profits, which would diminish in conjunction with decreased fossil fuel use. Big Oil began redesigning its own assets to adapt to rising sea levels at the same time it was telling the world that climate change was a hoax. That's what the lawsuit states. According to the Center for Climate Integrity, Hoboken is the 20th community to take fossil fuel giants to court to recover billions of dollars in damages caused by the oil and gas industry's uh, deception uh, about uh, climate change. 
And it, it's much like the tobacco industry, which, which hid the facts that it caused cancer. They already knew for, for decades. They knew for decades uh, uh, before, it, uh, uh, before it was released. Anyway, so they're going to lose big. And, and it's bad for the oil company because they're in bad shape right now. Which is really funny. We were just talking about that a couple of days ago. Um, the U.S. Postal Service internal watchdog issued a, uh, in a report this week detailing a number of concerns about how prepared the service is for the upcoming November election, elections in which a record number of Americans are expected to vote by mail. With one Democratic lawmaker seizing the findings as further evidence of the need for reforms. To prevent serious election mail delays and voters, uh, voting suppression, the audit from the USPS Office of Inspector General was released Monday and probed the service's readiness for timely processing of election and political mail. Among the findings were that 1.6 million pieces of election mail were delivered, were not delivered on time from April through June, and over 1 million primary ballots were at risk of not getting back to election boards on time to be counted because they were sent out within seven days of the election. So we're, we're saying that it's not going to get there if you send it within seven days of the election. It's better to show up and drop it in the box if your state allows that. Uh, Democrats on the House Oversight Committee issued a subpoena on Wednesday, requesting documents from U.S. Postmaster uh, DeJoy, including uh, their, they, they subpoenaed, subpoenaed to get unredacted copies of his official government calendar. His official co- government co- calendar, he covered up meetings with people. Can you imagine that? Just covering up the names of who he met with. Oh, he's, in deep, he's going to prison. He is going to prison. The FBI is going to be in on this. Oh, wow. Anyway, uh, anyway, they have issued uh, the subpoena as a way to compel the head of the USPS. Um, uh, also, by the way, and I've said this many, many times, also a major GOP and Trump donor. Anyway, they, uh, they want him to come clean about possible conflicts of interest or communications with the White House related to controversial changes made under his leadership at the Postal Service in recent months. If he met with Donald Trump, oh man, that's going to be huge. Uh, He better get those documents to the House right away. He's going to fight it, of course, because he needs to fight it past the election so Donald Trump can get elected. Donald Trump doesn't want people to know that he met with the uh, USPS uh, head uh, to talk about uh, um, mail-in voting and and, uh, repressing uh, votes. Um, <clears throat> uh, the ownership of a camera shop that was destroyed in Kenosha and highlighted uh, uh, during Donald Trump's visit on Tuesday said the president used his store, the, o- the owner said the president used his store for political gain, uh, uh, gain by appearing with the former owner of the business. So what happened was the former owner of the business sold the camera shot to a, a guy named Tom Graham. Uh, but he kept hold of the property. So when the property was destroyed, uh, the president uh, went with the owner of the building and, and, and said that he was the owner of the camera shop. So the president lied about it completely. Uh, 
Anyway, Tom Graham said he bought the Rhodes uh, camera shop business from the Rhodes family eight years ago, though John Rhodes still owns the property. Uh, Graham's four decades of work at the store came to an end uh, 20, on the 24th of August when the building was destroyed by fire during protests over the police shooting of Jacob Blake. Graham said he declined an invitation from the White House to join the president on tour on a tour to review damage in the neighborhood um, and, and, and the damage, you know, from the, the, the bout of unrest um, after uh, Blake was shot in the back. Um, anyway, Tom Graham said Trump's references to the road to road as the owner of the business were deceptive. I think he said in a statement, I think everything Trump does turns into a circus and I just didn't want to be involved in it. Um, anyway, Joe Biden announced that he and his wife will visit uh, uh, Wisconsin today. Oh, and I had something about that. Where was it? Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute because I think he's going to be uh, visiting the Blake family. Um Weekly jobless claims uh, for the first time since March have fallen below a million. Uh, that's not really a good thing because jobless numbers continue to climb. Uh, just because the climb is slower, it doesn't mean things are fixed. It means so many, it, it just means that so many have claimed joblessness that we're running out of people that are left to claim joblessness. That's all it means. Um, and according to uh, uh, data from uh, Strategis, uh, uh, that was shared with CNN Business. A group of uh, infrastructure, don't you love that word, infrastructure? <laughs> uh, renewable energy, pro-globalization, healthcare, and cannabis stocks are up 10% since early June. This is like a Biden bump. Uh, this so-called Biden or blue list includes companies like uh, Granite Construction, Tesla, First Lower, Chip Giant, uh, Broadcom, and the iShares MSCI Germany ETF, uh, which owns uh, several top German stocks. The bet is that these companies might thrive if Biden wins and pushes for the United States to rebuild highways and bridges, wean America off of oil and restore fractured trade relations with China, Japan, Europe, and other global economic leaders. So stock companies, uh, stock investors are investing in these companies because they think uh, Biden is going to win. Now, that's not to say they're not investing in uh, conservative companies too, because they have to split their bets a little bit just in case. Um, King Maha Vajiralongkorn of Thailand. I probably butchered that name and I apologize because I do not how to say know how to say it. Anyway, he's welcoming his consort back into the royal household. household. Um, it's kind of a surprise move, but I, I think it has to do with the country, uh, uh, which ha ha has a lot of unrest and protest about uh, and calling for reforms. Uh, the Thai royal household said in an official notice that all titles, military ranks, and decorations were re returned uh, to the consort. Uh, uh, Sininat Wongvaljirapakti. Wow. After she was found untainted, implying that she was found innocent of uh, previous accusations. Uh, she was accused, and I remember this actually. I remember this because uh, she was, she's cute. <laughs> she was accused nearly a year ago 
of trying to uh, usurp power and prestige from the queen, uh, uh, her name, Sin- Sininat, uh, had previously attempted to obstruct the ki- queen's wife, Queen, uh-oh, here we go, Queen Suthida Vajiralongkorn, uh, Na Ayudaya from being crowned and had asked to be appointed to the role instead. Sinanit is the first royal consort in nearly a century. She was, uh, um, she's supposedly kind of ba- uh, badass. Uh, she was a former army nurse who served in the King's Royal Bodyguard Unit and held the military ranking of Major General. She spent time in the military undertaking courses in jungle warfare and piloting, uh, according to state broadcaster Thai PBS. But take it with a grain of salt, I guess, because uh, uh, it's a state broadcaster, Thai PBS. Uh, it's not like PBS America. It's not like public broadcasting system. They're calling it Thai PBS because... It's government run and he's a king. So whatever is said there, uh, you might question it. Anyway, uh, yesterday I reported on Nancy Pelosi's uh, hair blowout, Hairgate. Apparently the salon owner was angry with Democrats about the shutdown uh, and employees told Pelosi they were allowed to do it. Uh, so this actually does really seem like a setup. And a, a cosmetologist who works at the salon that Speaker Pelosi visited attempted Wednesday to distance himself from the salon's owner, who uh, the owner's name is uh, Erica Kios, uh, who, because she made the original allegations. In a statement issued uh, to his lawyers, the, the hairstylist, uh, Jonathan... Uh, DiNardo appeared to agree with Pelosi's accusation that her appointment at E-Salon was a setup uh, designed to embarrass the Democrat for uh, uh, allegedly ignoring coronavirus rules. The stylist said the fact that Mrs. Kios, that's the salon owner, um, is now objecting to Speaker Pelosi's presence at E-Salon and from simple uh, surface-level uh, review of Ms. Kios' political leanings. It appears that Ms. Kios is furthering a setup of Speaker Pelosi for her own vain aspirations. And I'm sure we'll hear more about Hairgate in the future. This is saying that the Solano or was pissed at uh, Democrats and decided to sort of entrap Pelosi by saying it was okay to do it. And then, and then right after she said she went to probably Fox News and said, "Hey, Pelosi was here without a mask, and she was inside the salon, and she was not allowed to be here." Whoa! This is getting crazy. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, Facebook has said that they will limit some advertising during the week before the election, but said that they will allow political campaign ads with, uh, uh, still allow uh, political campaign ads with lies. In other words, they're really doing nothing but pretending to do something to help limit the claims against them. That's basically what Zuckerberg, you know, is doing. Um, An Indian parliamentary committee has grilled other top Facebook executives after the social media giant was accused of bias and not acting against anti-Muslim posts on its platform. Uh, the closed-door hearing on Wednesday followed accusations in newspaper reports that the social media giant was allowing hate speech on the platform and that its top policy official in India had shown favoritism towards Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Bharatiya Janata Party. <laughs> oh, 
man. I'm sorry. I'm butchering, butchering everybody's names today. Uh, after the hearing, uh, Chairman uh, Shashi Tharoor said in a tweet uh, uh, um, that the 30-member committee agreed to resume discussions later, including uh, with reps of uh, Facebook, because uh, I guess the meeting lasted a little bit long. Um, Tharoor, an, opposi- uh, Tharoor, an opposi- opposition party leader, did not give out details about the hearing. Facebook came under scrutiny after a series of reports by the Wall Street Journal uh, showing the company ignored anti-Muslim hate speech by the Bharatiya Janata Party uh, politicians, while Facebook's public policy chief in India, Anki Das, uh, made decisions favoring Modi's party. On Tuesday... New Delhi-based English Daily and the Indian Express reported that the following a request from the party that followed a request from the party. Facebook had uh, removed pages critical of the Bharatiya Janata Party months before the uh, 2019 general elections. Oh, gosh. I I, I just, I I can't do any more uh, India and Thailand and uh, um, other stories because... My mouth needs a rest. Uh, Mackenzie Scott. You know Mackenzie Scott. You do know Mackenzie Scott. I know you do because her name used to be Mackenzie Scott Bezos. Uh, The former wife, philanthropist, author, and uh, ex-wife of uh, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos is now the wealthiest woman in the world. Scott's net worth is now $68 billion, propelling her past uh, L'Oreal Heiress Francois Betancourt Myers, according to Bloomberg's Billionaire Index. Uh, Scott received a quarter of Bezos' Amazon shares in the couple's divorce settlement in 2019. That equated to a 4% stake that was worth more than $35 billion at the time. She is now the 12th wealthiest person in the world. 12th wealthiest person in the world. Hey, uh, um, Mackenzie Scott, call me. You know, I, I know I'm a little older, but, uh, you know, uh, I'd, I'd be a very willing participant in anything you want to do. <laughs> uh, in July, and this is really cool. I really like her for this. Scott announced that she had already donated nearly $1.7 billion to 116 organizations that included four historically black colleges and universities. She described the organizations as focusing on one of nine areas of need ranging from racial equity to climate change. Last year, Scott also signed on to uh, the Giving Pledge initiative. Uh, founded by Warren Buffett and Bill and Melinda Gates. The initiative encourages the world's richest people uh, to dedicate a majority of their wealth to charitable causes. And she's awesome for doing so. How long did I take this time? (laughs) That was a lot of news, man. Uh, Anyway, thank you for listening for the entire 35 and a half minutes. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it when you call, uh, come back. I really appreciate it when you tell people about me. I love doing this. I'd love to continue doing this. Uh, so please tell people about it. Um, Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. This is Peter Lawrence reporting from Los Angeles going on 36 minutes.